in three, two, one. As business professionals, the pressures, stress, and expectations we face can take a toll on our resilience and drain our sense of resourcefulness, leaving us stressed with motivational fatigue. We can combat this fatigue when we use humor to be more resilient, enhance productivity, and team enthusiasm. To help us understand how to develop and employ humor in our businesses and profession is author, speaker, and humorous coach, Tim Gard. Well, hi, Tim. Welcome to the program. We're delighted to have you. It's so good to see you again. It's been way too long, my friend. Way too long. I was thinking we were, I think we were doing a gig a number of years ago in Cancun, Mexico. So we got to hang out there for a little while and had some fun with a client. And uh, But it's been a few years. And, and since then, I understand you've moved from Denver, where home was. You're out now in Portland? Portland, Oregon. And it's a very fun place. It's a very unusual place. I, I was a little startled when you go out and people are out playing in their yards in the rain and gardening as if nothing's happening, but I love it. Beautiful state. I mean, it's green for a reason, right? And uh, good seafood and uh, lots of good companies out there too. So, well, good for you. Well, we're excited to have you and you talk in your work and I want to get to some of the background things, but in your work, before we get there, you bill yourself as a humorist, not as a comedian. And there's a difference between humor and jokes and humorous versus comedians. Explain to us what the difference is. Sure. Comedians are almost at a level where they're making fun of or poking fun at. And it's almost always at somebody's detriment. In right. humorous, we want to use humor to enhance and never diminish anyone. And like I say, most of the comedians, you pay your money, you go to see them, you know what you're going to get, the language, everything else. But a lot of it is a put down or really making fun of, whereas we would be laughing at ourselves. And as C.W. Metcalf said, laugh not with ridicule, but with objectivity and acceptance of self. Mm -hmm. It's clean. I mean, a humorist also is going to be squeaky clean. When people are at a conference, it's the same as if they're at work and the same rules apply as far as hostile environment, language, all of those things. And it's just something where use humor responsibly. It's an outstanding skill, a leadership skill used incorrectly. It'll create a hostile work environment. So it's just being aware of the differences and making a choice not to not to diminish anybody. Well, and we're going to get into those details, but now tell me, how did you evolve? Because you used to work for the government. You worked in Montana, you were at the state. Tell us about that background. And then one day you wake up and you go, you know what? I think I'm going to be a comedian and go from there. Give us that chronology. Sure. I grew up in a military household. My dad was in the Air Force and we moved every two years to little radar bases along the northern states in Montana, Alaska. Went to little one-room schools where they had a bunch of grades in one classroom. And my older brother played music. That was his connecting skill. My younger brother was theater. And for me, I was president of everything. And so as we went to different places, I evolved to be able to use humor to literally connect with people very quickly, time after time after time. And so when I went in the Navy, I was on the Midway, the USS Midway. It's up Harvard, San Diego was there when we evacuated Vietnam a long time ago. But when I got out of the Navy, I started finding that If you want to live in Montana, you got to do what you have to do and then do what you want to do and variety of jobs there. And finally kind of found my niche. I got a job with Montana Department of Human Services as an eligibility caseworker. So Michael, people would come to me and apply for welfare benefits. And based on what they brought in, 
on a piece of paper, I decided who got food and who didn't get food. Most wow, yeah. stressful, stressful job of my life. And so I jumped at the opportunity to become Montana's eligibility investigator. So I got to go out and investigate the same people I give benefits to. So I started seeing things differently in that as an investigator, you have to be really creative sometimes to see where the fraud is being done. And then finally, USDA Food Nutrition hired me in Denver as a management analyst. And my job there was to look how the government gave the money away, management analyst. And so while I was there, I reached a point in my career where they were sending me to different conferences to represent the agency. It's called Show the Flag. And I got to be known as the funny fed, which is kind of an (laughs) oxymoron when you think about it. Right, exactly. And people started asking me to come instead of my boss. And there was a conference that my boss had been invited to and then got disinvited to, and they invited me. And I thought that was kind of a career ending. Yeah, that goes over good. Yeah. Yep. So in one year, I quit my job. I started this company. I sold my house. I got divorced. I sold my truck. I think I did every stressful thing that you can do in a year and started doing kind of what I've been doing, going around showing the flag where I was taking the absurdities about situations in these programs and trying to find the humor to not make fun of people, but to kind of shine a light on some of the inconsistencies. And it, Michael got very, very popular. I did 15 the first year, 30 the next year, and then up into 50 and 75. And at the heyday, I was doing over a hundred a year. Yeah, that's crazy. It's been a really fun way to travel the planet. Well, you definitely found your calling. You know, you and I have that in common. My dad was Air Force, 29 years, moved around every year, and it was always in the fall. And I always had to go to school, and the open desk in the classroom was always the one up front. And I was the only one who ever had to introduce himself to the class because everyone else already knew each other. So, hey, we got a new kid. And I remember hiding around the side of the building, waiting for the buzzer to ring, and then having to go in and meet 30 new kids. But you get really good at introducing yourself and then making them laugh. And if you could make them laugh, then you were kind of in. And it was all about that acceptance, right? So I learned the importance of humor there. And I used jokes a lot back in those days. And so I appreciate that because it's a common background and it helps in our developmental stages get us to where we are. And not everyone has that opportunity, though. So you were kind of forced to do it. Now, you believe that anyone can develop humor and you teach that humor when used effectively can be a vehicle to rapidly establish rapport, can break down barriers, and it can make people quickly receptive to new ideas and to obviously new relationships as well. Can we all develop that? I believe we can. I mean, it's not about telling jokes. We're all going to meet people that could not tell a joke to save their life. And what a lot of people don't realize is if you get the structure down, I think anybody could tell a joke. You have your setup, your punchline, and the last word is the punch word. Right. And so most people get that mixed up and they have trouble. And quite frankly, it's why most jokes don't translate from one language to another. Because when you change the syntax of how the words are in a sentence, you change whether it's funny or not, by moving around that punch word. But I think that more than telling jokes, which again, make fun of somebody, almost always, that we use humor to look at the situations and we use it in storytelling. When I was with the government, we had a real short version of it. We had a government car that took special fuel and I didn't really know about, nobody told me, (laughs) used the car, went to put gas in it. And this is in Denver, when I worked in Denver. And I couldn't get the nozzle in because it was special fuel. So I got a funnel. I'm being very creative. I put a funnel in, right. put the fuel in. And about 30 miles later, black smoke is coming out. I think almost ruined the engine. And when my boss called me in, he said, 
Tim, he said, you made a mistake. And he said, when I was a food program specialist, he said, I was tasked to go get a turkey for the Howdy Doody show in Chicago years ago. And he said, I got the government car, drove there, didn't have a cake. We put the turkey in the trunk, drove 200 miles back. By the time he got back, turkey's dead. And everything on the inside of the turkey is on the outside of the turkey. It was horrible, smelly mess. <laughs> went to clean it. And he said they'd locked up the garage. He couldn't clean it. So the next day he went to clean it. And the director had taken it to pick up the undersecretary of agriculture, not knowing what was in the trunk. Oh, and no. got to the airport, pops the trunk. And if it was smelly before, it was awful yeah. then. Oh. And he said it cost hundreds of dollars to fix and everybody's scarred for life. And then he stops and he looks at me and goes, Tim, here's the point. It's only stupid if you do it twice. Now, here's the deal. I never forgot that, Michael. I mean, this is where we make a story funny, right? which I mean, it's funny as it is. But in the telling of the story, we have a little leeway to be able to make it even funnier. And the way we tell the story, it's then designed to make it maximum funny awareness. Uh, and you self-deprecate too, which I appreciate that. And it shows confidence. You show vulnerability. You're the punchline. You're the joke of the punchline and the story. Because people can see themselves situationally, right? And they understand, hey, I can relate to this. And I think the deliveries, we'll talk about delivery in a minute. But what I think is interesting and the message that you give in an underlying way for corporations is you work with these companies all around the globe on how they can incorporate humor into their professions. So whatever their job is, to connect and to energize, diffuse tension, enhance teamwork. I mean, there's so many benefits, overcome obstacles. There's so many places where we can use humor on a day-to-day -day basis. And how is the acceptance that when you're talking to audiences, do you get feedback? Because I know you work with companies and help them develop into their service calls and their processes. What kind of results are you seeing from companies that employ you? Really good results in that people start realizing that what they want to do is look at their employees and look at the situations they're into about how they can have fun. Now, understanding that fun for me is when you can do your job really, really well, that's fun. It reduces stress. I mean, when you're really good at your job, it helps reduce stress. Right. But I just had a person call me up in a law school and he said that they had taken some of my material to heart and that what they did was is they wanted to connect with their students in a way where people were having fun and then challenge them with information. And the difference was astounding as far as how people were able to learn more in a setting where it wasn't like learn this information and come back and regurgitate it. It was more of a fun environment about really understanding that you can laugh at yourself. You can laugh at the circumstances. You change your perception. You create a different reality, Michael. Right, that's right. And, and understanding that at the very beginning helps people learn faster. And you see, it goes through on training. I've got some survey numbers I'll go over with you in a little bit, just about how corporations are on that. But even just from a stress point of view, like our world is really stressed out right now. And you talk about how humor helps relieve that stress. It's unifying. And if we went to a sporting event, it's also unifying. Mm -hmm. You're wearing the same jerseys, right? And in your program, I believe it's in your program, Change the Game, you focus on stress reduction in the workplace. How does humor reduce that? I mean, I get when we're laughing and we can burn off some calories mm -hmm. laughing, but there's that release of endorphin, there's chemicals, there's things that get released there, endorphins. How does that help us with the stress and with our work environment? I think people start understanding that there's parts of the jobs that are called situational stress factors that are always going to be there. I was in Denver not long ago and actually got in a cab instead of an Uber. And then it was five o'clock and the driver's hitting his hands on the dash. And he's going to traffic and 
traffic. And I said, <laughs> how long have you been a taxi driver? And he goes, 30 years. And I said, I got to know how to tell you this, but it's going to be like this again tomorrow. <laughs> if you're surprised at the traffic every day, you're setting yourself up to fail. I think humor helps us see situations and problems and that we learn to act and not react to them instead of getting angry. It's more looking for solutions, realizing when I worked for the welfare office, there were people that came in in dire situations and I wouldn't laugh at them, but I had to find a way at the end of the day where I could leave work at work, right? leave home at home, that by taking actions to solve problems using humor, I mean, here's a great one. You know how you and I both speak at conferences, you go in with your USB and you give it to the production crew mm -hmm. and you might forget and leave it there. This is a USB that I have here. It's a, <laughs> Ch it's chicken's a chicken foot. foot. Yeah. It's a chicken foot, but it's a working USB port that you can plug in. Nobody's right. going to mistake this for one of their USBs. And they always give it back to me when we're done. Problem solved. Right. It's solving problems with humor, but it's, you asked about stress. I think it's important we learn to laugh at ourselves. And I think that we don't take ourselves so seriously that we actually stop again and learn to act and not react. But we don't stack things up one on top of another. That as the stressful things happen, you heard me say this before, when something stressful happens, you put your hand on top of your head, you go, bummer, and you let it go. You make a waving motion. You let it go. Yep. When something good happens, you go, woohoo, when you right. celebrate it. Celebrate the little things, take the bummers, bummer, let it go. Yeah. Sometimes you do it in your mind only. <laughs> well, and your, and day, your day is going to be full of bummers and full of woohoos. <laughs> and right. it's just the way it works. This episode is sponsored in part by Rainmaker Digital Solutions, featuring ActiveCampaign. Looking to drive growth with customer experience automation? ActiveCampaign, the number one marketing automation platform for e-commerce, B2C and B2B companies, gives you the email marketing, marketing automation, and CRM tools you need to create incredible customer experiences. ActiveCampaign is the platform we use to reach, nurture, convert, and grow our business, and you can use it to grow yours. You can see why 150,000 plus businesses like yours choose ActiveCampaign to help them grow and become preferred in the markets they serve. You can also start your free trial by visiting our website and clicking on the ActiveCampaign trial link. As a bonus, we'll also give you a digital copy of my book, Becoming Preferred, How to Outsell the Competition. And in the interest of full disclosure, I am a shareholder in the company. And now back to my conversation with Tim Gard. It's interesting with humor because people want to be funny. And like in our, our talk, people, when they book you, they're, they're expecting humor because you're billed as a humorist. I go in as a business speaker and then I drop humor. And so it's a bonus and there's no expectation. If the audience is not the right audience, they don't laugh at things. I can kind of get away with it, right? Where yes. yours is a little more deliberate. But people ask me, well, how do I bring humor into my talks? How do I bring it into my program? What's acceptable? What's appropriate? Because that's moving. That goalpost is moving all the time. What's appropriate in today's world. We might have a strong diversity, equity, and inclusion process. And humor needs to be inclusive. And yes. you talk about that. What's interesting is uh, Hodge and Cronin Associates did a survey of 737 CEOs. And 98% of them preferred job candidates with a sense of humor to those without. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And it's and there was another one that showed that 84% of the executives thought that employees with a sense of humor do a better job than with people with little or no sense of humor. So if people are funny, you're probably the last one to get fired or laid off as well. So you see it in the workforce. 
I do. And I see this a lot. When I worked for the government, I remember I was up for a managerial position and my boss said, Tim, if you get this, you're not going to be able to use humor. And I said, why? And he said, well, and then he paused and he goes, I don't know why. He said, that's what we've always said. And I said, look, I have fewer sick days than anybody else. You've never had a complaint about me. We go down this list and he says, you you just got to understand it's not always appropriate. And I said, we didn't arrest people for fraud and then tell them funny anecdotes. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, there's a time and a place for, for everything about this. But in the workplace today, we have to have a level of awareness. And I guess the big points are, number one, is that we want to perceive absence of malice. I think we want to assume the best about people. If right. we automatically assume the worst, it's going to be a problem. Right. And I mean, there's a couple of times when I had little problems when I worked for the government. But the thing was, is that I had a consistent record of never being the person to say something negative about somebody else. That was my best protection. But here's the rules, I think. Number one, if you wonder if you should say it or not, let it go. Don't say it. it. If you wouldn't say it to your grandmother or to your eight-year-old daughter, I'd let it go. When in doubt, don't. When in doubt, leave it out. It's not that hard. I think people will angst over it and say, well, people are being so sensitive. When in fact, There are so many people that say things and hide behind it and say, can't you take a joke? Right. And it's covered in that creating a hostile work environment. If you do it without intending to cause stress, I think that's probably the last one that just be aware of it. Yeah, it's intent and impact, right? Like I've said things with no intention to cause hurt, but have ended up causing hurt you know, or hurting somebody's feelings. So that's still going to happen. Then obviously you apologize when you need to. But that brings up the question when it comes to humor and creating humor, because some people just aren't funny. But you maintain that people can be funny. Do you Uh, have a formula when it comes to coming up with material or things that are going to be humorous? Or do you just come across it by accident? No, I think that anything that evokes a strong emotion is potentially humorous. And I've told people I do coaching for other speakers and I tell them, if there's a story that's funny, I can make it funnier. One of the guys I was coaching tells a story about scuba diving. And he said he was always afraid, you know, he almost drowned swimming. And then he learned to scuba dive in Australia. And there's a big sign when he was learning all the rules on the sign. Rule number one was get certified. Number two was swim with the buddy. Number three was tell somebody where you're going. And rule number four was never ascend without exhaling or you'll die. And I said to him, any rule that ends with, or you'll die, should probably be rule number one. That's important. He can use that throughout his program. Somebody go, what should we do now? Well, if it ends with, or you'll die, that should go rule number one. So what I do is if I've experienced something mildly funny, then I kind of write them down and I work on it. And here's what I do to inject the funny is that I'll go in and figure out why it's funny, first of all, and then see how I can exaggerate it a little bit more. This is the thing. We want to exaggerate it to a point that's still believable. You know, I came up with this great idea and then I cured cancer. Nobody will believe it. But like at the airport, Denver National Airport, as we get up to board the plane, there's four boarding zones. Everybody's heard this. And we're getting ready to board. And this guy goes, this is so complicated. I looked at him. I said, Four boarding zones, one, two, three, four. I don't know what's complicated about it. It's not like Fibonacci sequence or something. (laughs) Row one and row three and then row four. We get on the plane and I'm sitting there and I thought there's something there. And so that story now evolves into I'm standing in line. Guy says it's so complicated. And I say to him, 
well, you should have seen it when it was Fibonacci sequence and you did row one and row three and then row four. And the guy behind me goes, well, you should have seen quadratic equation boarding when we had to show <laughs> our work before we could get on. And so the joke now is grown. Right. It's become funnier, but the truth is still there. What happened is still there. It's just that we have editorial license to build it, to make it bigger, right. more exaggerated. Well, and you do that so well. And delivery is huge as well and timing. And we can talk about that. Oh, I still love it. Actually, I've used it on several occasions, uh, one of your bits where you're on the airplane and you pull out the air sickness bag. But I still love the BSG story. And, the big sweaty guy story. Yeah. And you know, Mike, I took it off, but I tell you what, for your listeners, I'll email you a link to it and they'll be able to watch it. The big sweaty guy story in the middle seat launched my career. And I'll share it with your listeners and I'll send it to you. I'll share it with Please you. Please do. They'll love it and listen to it. There's just some great little gems there. Well, and you talked about the air sickness bag. One of the lines in it for your listeners was people are walking down the aisle and you try to will them by with your mind. Keep right. moving, keep moving. And when it gets slower boarding, then you've got to pull the air sickness bag out. And you slide out in your seat and you bend down and pretend like you're getting sick in the air sickness bag. They keep bag. going. Yeah. They keep going. That's yeah. nature's way of saying, keep moving, keep moving. Yeah, so. keep, and that's why I think you can find humor in almost everything that we look at. There's just stories and we all have things that can be funny. So you sit there and you'll actually think about it. So you're intentional with your humor. Talk about the delivery a little bit. For instance, you've talked about how you develop it, but a couple of rules that I've heard is A, don't laugh at your own humor. And if you bomb, just keep moving. So I have a problem with don't laugh at your own humor because you don't tell and retell. We live and relive. And when mm -hmm. I relive that, I may be laughing. You've got to be in the moment. That makes and sense. So, yeah. So I'm not going to stand there and crack myself up, although my wife would probably disagree with that from time to time. But I will tell you that the late, great Jeannie Robertson said, a story has to be true or it could be. I think that we just can't exaggerate them too much. And I also think that if we do that too much, then it invalidates everything else. Everything else you said may not be believable. So it's stressing it just a little bit, but not way too far. And that's where you almost need somebody else, a coach or a speaker buddy, where I'd run a story by you and I'd say, Michael's is funny, or what do you think? And because when you work on a joke, Jerry Seinfeld, I know will work on a joke for years. Right. The more you tell yourself that, line or whatever, eventually it's not as funny to you. And so you've got to learn to trust the material, even though you've overworked it. But once you reach a point where it's sharpened enough, just stop. I never stop totally building a story, but I will reach a point where I think it's done enough. Right. No, that makes sense. And I think self-awareness is the key point. And when you're telling stories, what's interesting to me is sometimes the audience They'll laugh at things that I don't even intend to be funny. So I'll go back, listen to the recording, and go, why did they laugh at that? Now, when we create humor, and let's start at work. Is there a way to create a, let's say we're in a high stressful work environment. We want to create fun work environment. Is there anything you'd recommend there? Yeah. First of all, you want to find things that if you draw a bell curve, that most everybody's going to understand. I mean, a cubicle is a cubicle is a cubicle, whether right. it's in Germany, South America, cubicle is a cubicle. And so you can make jokes about cubicles or things like that. And it's certainly going to continue. Like in the U.S., we call it prairie dog in a cubicle. That's when people's, some of y'all, hey, people's heads pop, pop your head up. up. Yeah. yeah, that's prairie dog. Now, I imagine that there's a higher rate of people that want to understand that then certain jokes that are only located in certain South America or say in Germany or wherever that require, I mean, there's almost slang. We've got to be very much aware of slang 
things like that. Right. I'm a big believer. There's a thing called sniglets. Sniglets are words for things that should exist that don't. And every morning people would come to my desk and we'd read the sniglet for the day. For instance, car perpetuation is when there's a string on the floor and you're vacuuming and you vacuum over the string and you, then you, you can't pick it up. And then you bend over, you pick it up and examine it and give it another chance. That's called car perpetuation. Now here's the thing. Everybody can understand it. Never knew there was a word for it. We'd all laugh about it. Started our day with laughter. Right. Things like that. There's a thing in the brain, Michael, called mirror neurons. You have a smell that brings you back to your mother's kitchen. You hear a song that takes you to your junior prom. A lot of the visual things that I do in my program are designed to remind people of something funny so that when they see them on their desk or they think about them, then they're funny. I just went to a class reunion and I had these I gave out to everybody. Little foam bunnies. I, it looks like I'm foam. holding up gray. They're gray hairs. Uh-huh. So it's a little <laughs> foam bunny called a gray hair right. and people would say how you been Tim and I'd say I'm finding more and more of these every day yeah excellent and it was a hit especially with the people that were bold right so you, you use know, a lot were, of props you use a lot of props in your programs and I believe you have actually a side business or part of the website yeah where I've they can find props too we'll put that into the show notes as well Timguard.com. well yeah a lot of them I've developed when people were working out of their homes and I know a lot of people still are your family would come around and they wouldn't realize you're working, need to be left alone. And so these are don't bug me glasses. If you put these on, people <laughs> will leave you alone. And for the audience, it's two tea strainers with some antidote. Yeah. And the thing is, just looking at these makes you smile and laugh, right? And it yeah. brings back that laughter. So the things that I've invented over the years have been designed to help people just laugh. Here's the thing. Some of us are audio learners. Some are visual learners, all this science out there. I have both. I tell stories. I have different visuals. One of the quandaries, and I know this is really hard to see. Like This is a tiny chicken. It's an itty bitty chicken. And I mean, it's got little itty bitty chicken. About an inch long. Yeah. Yeah. It's about an inch long. The company that makes these for me sent me these, which are much bigger. Yeah. They're like four times as big. And I said, the big ones are creepy. These are funny. These are creepy. <laughs> I don't know why, but I give these to people. It's like people. a rubber chicken that's an inch yeah. long. Yeah, it's an inch long. But people put them in their pocket, forget about them, and then they're doing their laundry and they find the itty bitty chicken, makes them laugh. You've been associated with it. I use a rose in my programs where I'm talking about sending roses to our clients. And whenever uh-huh. we do anything, I, we do a rose. Yeah. And so I want them associating rose with my program. That becomes that. But you do it brilliantly. And I know you've got some really cool props and people can go watch your YouTube videos. Sure. And again, we'll have those links and they can see you using those. Speaking of the chicken, I remember the luggage too, where you travel yeah. with chicken feet coming out. I can see them behind you sitting up on yeah. your shelf there. That's right. Back and there, the- they don't mess with your bag. You'll never lose your bag. And no and it's always fun to watch them smile. And uh, like yeah. I said, you have a really good demeanor with that as well. So for a work environment, we can use props. We can have yeah. opportunities. We can have occasions. Maybe it's with a team meeting or, hey, what was funny today? What was your best story? And often, I mean, even in your travels, you've had good stories that you've told where companies have then gone, hey, there's that guy. That's the guy we had the story on. I think one of my favorites was, you should use this one because it's a good example of where it can work inside the business, is you're in a hotel and electricity went out, your air conditioning went out. 
Yeah. So I go to check into this property and it's Miami. It's like a billion degrees outside. I literally have standing water in my shoes. Yeah, 100% my clothes humidity. are just stuck to my body. And I go to the hotel room and I go to get in and the air conditioner isn't working. So I call the front desk to see if they'll send up an engineer. And before I can say a word, this young man goes, sir, I can't talk to you right now. We had a transformer blow up outside the hotel. And I said, is it the Decepticons? Am I in danger here? And, and he says, it's not Transformers. It's just one Transformer. And I said, one could kill us all. Did you see that movie? And he goes, what would you like me to do? I said, you need to call Optimus Prime. That's what you need to do. And they sent me a, that. When I left the next day, they gave me a bottle of wine. Exactly. Thank you. Note. They comped my room. And he said, my staff laughed about this all night long. Yeah. When you can stand out, it makes all the difference. And you talk about getting upgraded, you're getting yeah. on the flight, you do different things. When I'm in the lounge waiting to catch a flight or whatever, I'll usually go rob all the cookies, take a bunch <laughs> and I take them to the flight crew. And uh -huh. I'll go, hey, these were just freshly baked. I brought them from the flight. And they, they look at me and, oh, well, thank you so much. I'm so excited. And then every once in a while, if the front of the plane is open, I'll hear, oh, Mr. Vickers, we have your seats now ready for you. And can you come with us? Or at the very least, they're coming by with the cart. They'll drop a bottle or two of wine on my desk and say oh. compliments of the captain. Oh. So it pays and it's fun to yeah. do it. Now, is there standards or should we have standards corporately for appropriate humor? Well, it depends upon the norm, on what the business norm is. When I was in the welfare office, just in a general environment, the language could be a little raw sometimes in dealing with some of the folks that came in. Yeah. And yet there were also people that worked at Catholic charities where that was something that wasn't tolerated. What I'm saying is, is that each business has its own norms as far as what's allowable, what's not allowed. Industries, companies U.S. companies, Singapore companies, you know. Right. And so I think the first rule is what's the norm for behavior? But again, if you keep with that, we don't want to diminish or put people down or create a hostile work environment. I think that's kind of your baseline, if you will about where we start from. And we actually intend to do the right thing right. as much as we can. Well, that was one of the beauties of Seinfeld is he never told dirty jokes, he'd tell funny no. stories. In my time, I mean, I've spoken in so many different countries, but I was in Australia once and the company said, we're gonna do something tonight, you can do your blue material. And I said, I don't have any. I've never written any blue material. And so it's a matter of standard that when somebody records what we do as speakers, it's forever. Right. It is forever. And so it's just an awareness of being present to know that we want to act and not react and that we always want to do what's best for our customers, which are the folks that hire us. I think Alan Wise said, our primary responsibility is the people that hire us, second to our audience and third to ourselves. Excellent. No, good advice. In your quietest moments, do you ever have it to where, you know what, I'm bummed out. It's a bummer. It's a bad day. And you go to bed and it was just a bad day. And you have to kind of kick yourself in the pants and you go, hey, you know what, this happens. A really and, good question. So no, I don't. No, I mean, just, <laughs> no, I, it's funny. When we're on stage, you give everything you can. And there's times when I'm just about emotionally drained. I, I just don't have any more. And so I've got to really be aware of that, yeah. that when I reach that point, I just need to recharge. And one of the things I do, I really like to watch the old Carol Burnett, Tim Conway shows. They, they try to crack each other up is that I try to put myself in situations like that, where I know it's going to help me recharge and not get into situations where I'm going to go out. I mean, it's an ongoing joke in the industry that I could be out for a week speaking. You come home and your husband or your wife wants to go to dinner. 
well, it's the last thing I want to do after being on the road for a week. Right. So we just have to be aware of the things that we don't want to put ourselves in situations where when we're empty, we're around people. Yeah, I actually had the same. It's a phenomenon for sure. Like I used to come home from a gig and maybe I'd be gone all week, three, four times and doing different programs. And I come home and my wife's picking me up. I'm excited to see her. And we get in an argument on the way home. Stupid things. So then we created some rules and we said, all right, let's just keep it light. And I just want to get home. And then one day I was reading a book by John Gray, Men Are From Mars, Women For Venus, but it wasn't that book. But in one of his books, and I can't recall the name of it, he says, as speakers, when we're speaking and you're giving out all that energy and the audience is absorbing that energy, theirs is going somewhere and it's probably coming to you. And it was interesting. What happens is we take it on because it's got to go somewhere. They're taking your positive energy and you put a lot of enthusiasm and energy. I never thought of it. Then that makes sense. And and now you're bringing it on and you're taking all that energy. They're not trying to hurt you. It's just physics. Your wife might be able to help you with that one. I think she's a physicist, right? But it's an attraction thing. So you're substituting, you're taking on their stuff. You're giving them your stuff. And so you're exhausted. There's not much left. So what do you do to protect yourself? Do you ever have bad days where it's just a bad day? So I was single for a number of years. And uh, since I married Sophia, one of the things we've had to do is we have to have rules, just like what you said. Number one is I don't use speaker talk on her. Right. That if we're having an argument, I don't go, emotions aren't good or bad. They just are. <laughs> you know, that, they that use your own stuff that. against you. I know. <laughs> and number two is when something like this happens, we really need to recharge that you really can step away and just say, look, I need some time. And the other person doesn't take it personally. Right. Being really upfront, you realize that you're empty. My wife does training also. And at least once a year, she would go to a yoga retreat for three days or something like that. And that's what she does. And so I respect that. But everybody is different when it comes to recharging. But the one thing you can't do is ignore it. Right. Regardless of what job you have or what you do, you have to recharge and take that time or you'll just get run down. So you maintain that people can actually use the humor. They can find the humor. And by changing our perceptions, it does change our realities. I like that. So do you find that from a humor point of view that humor is evolving, what we find funny today or wasn't funny yesterday or culturally as well? It's always evolving. The big sweaty guy in the middle seat story was 11 minutes long. At the time, I was told that's too long for a story. Right. A story is as long or as short as it should be. Right. And so as things evolve out, I would say programs that I'm doing are shorter. When we were doing virtual programs, they were inherently shorter. But I do think that stories, I think one of the things that really needs to be stressed is the ability to be a good storyteller. It's probably one of the longest educational methods that we've used throughout history. And I think that the use of humor in storytelling and in leadership is something that people can work on and get better at. And it increases our likability. I mean, we do business with those that we like. It's the fastest way to connect with people. It has all these reasons to do it, but it's not going to happen unless you do it on purpose. Right. And the more you do it, I think the easier it gets. Years ago, I fell off a stage in Bismarck, North Dakota, and I've been really working hard on being present. And I hit the floor and everybody's laughing. And then they stopped laughing as if on cue. And I looked up and I said, and now I'll take questions from the floor. And they, <laughs> and they lost it again. And, yeah, exactly. And the lady that hired me goes, how do you do that? And I said, that's 3,000 programs that we work at this. It doesn't happen accidentally. 
No. And you start yeah. to find, like I say, timing and on the deliverability. Yes. A lot of people rush through things instead of taking the pause. The pause can often bring up the laughter, right, within that group. So it does take a little bit of time, but it's doable and it's learnable. There's people can take improv classes. You can learn watching. Yeah. I think just watching, if they go to your YouTube videos and watch your YouTube videos, they'll get a good sense of it because you talk common sense. It's obvious. And that's what makes it so funny. Well, as the great philosopher Britney Spears said, it's not rocket surgery, <laughs> yes. but it's not complicated. <laughs> exactly. And like you say, there's lots of benefits to it. You talked about some of the things which we can do. So humor provides perspective. So it's a way in which it lightens the load of the workplace by providing a different perspective. We can kind of all laugh about it. It reduces stress, right? Because when people laugh, it actually does that release. Plus you burn off about three and a half calories for a good hearty joke from what I understand. And when you can just laugh at yourself and be okay with that, you can create an environment where it's fun. And you see with some of these major corporations, they've got the different multi-generational folks that are in there. And you got five generations now in the workplace. We are in a global economy and a global workplace more than ever before. And we all smile and laugh in the same language. This unites us. It brings us together when nothing else will work. And I've watched audiences where I've had for like three hours and I watch them every break, we come back together. They sit closer and closer and closer together. It does work. It's amazing. Yeah. Well, the psychology of humor, it's a psychology for sure. Because most of us laugh at something that's funny multiple times during every day. And it serves so many purposes, right? And the research and the literature on the subject is very interesting. And it crosses lots of disciplines as well. You bring the comic relief with you, right? So people yeah. can develop their humor and, again, look for appropriate humor and yes. create space for humor. And yes. then make sure you Potentially. pay attention. Where do you go for your humor? What do you do? Because I know you write your own, but I mean, you see it everywhere. You observe everything. I know you do. I guess I'm the guy that kind of steps back and I'll step back and look at things. And I try to see it all around me. But when I'm trying to do something where I'm just trying to step away, I like to watch really old science fiction movies, the ones that are really fakey. Yeah. And it just makes me laugh. And again, some of the old humor. I don't watch comedians very much. And the no. reason is I'm scared to death. Subconsciously, I'm going to absorb somebody's joke and use it and not realize it. I was in front of an audience one time and it was like the meat growers or something, but it was all about steers and cows and meat. And the big thing was that somebody had said something about red meat being bad for you. And I said, red meat's not bad for you. Blue green meat is bad for you. <laughs> and it wasn't until like three days later, I kept thinking, did I? And I found it. It's an old comment from Tommy Smothers and the Smothers Brothers that I heard in 1964. Oh, wow. I mean, I, I worry about that stuff. I don't want to use anybody's material incorrectly. That's right. No, so, and if you observe, there's enough to laugh at for sure. And like I said, we yeah. definitely could use a lot of it in our politics with our leaders yeah. and where we can really just laugh at ourselves because life just gets way too serious. And I love seeing the obscure humor, Michael, that a lot of people miss. When Hillary Clinton was running for president against Trump, the funniest thing happened. She got up and they said, Trump's written more books about business than you ever will. And she said, yes, but they all end at chapter 11. Chapter 11, <laughs> yeah, which is right, bankruptcy. Exactly, bankruptcy yeah. Here's what she did. Instead yeah. of letting it go, she then explained the joke to everybody. But yeah. I love that stuff. Yeah. And we love to laugh and it 
It makes for a happier workplace as well. So the website is www.timgard.com, G-A-R-D. We'll have all your contact information, Tim, in the show notes. And uh, people can get hold of you there. And if they haven't seen you, I know you delight audiences everywhere you go. Everyone leaves feeling good about themselves. And you've got lots of good karma coming your way from all the good karma that you delve out. Yeah, really appreciate you joining us today. And again, you're looking for a good speaker and someone who can talk on a number of issues. Tim, been a pleasure. Thanks for sharing your time with us today. Thank you for inviting me. I'll come back anytime. This podcast is created and associated with Summit Media. My production team is Beth Smith and Kendra Vickers. The fee for the show is that you share it with friends when you find something useful or interesting.